You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 79 called 10 Ways to Empower Students with Content Creation. In this episode, we'll share some lesson and project ideas that empower student learning all while creating their own visual and audio content. We'll also discuss some skills students will gain and challenges you'll face along the way. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. All right, so we're in our last episode of the 70s. That's pretty cool. We're going to approach the the last, what is it, score before we get to 100. Four scores in seven years. Yeah, that's 20 years, right? Yeah, good job. Yeah, absolutely. We're closing in on that uh, number 100. It's a it's an exciting episode because it's something we probably what we're most passionate about. And, um, you know, when it comes to content creation, you know, we're not talking about teaching content. We're not talking about information being taught to the students. I know that's how a lot of teachers view the word content. We're talking about kids creating things, creating media of some kind. So everything in today's episode is going to be themed around them doing that and why it's good, some of the challenges, and most importantly, just some ideas that we had about how you can do this. Yeah. And just going along with that, a lot of times when we say content creation, if we do get past the word content and uh, we're allowing students to create things, a lot of people think that that's a lot of ed tech associated with that. So we're going to try to throw in some ways that you can do this without incorporating ed tech tools and also some with ed tech tools and maybe some with minimal ed tech tools. So we're really trying to break it out there. Uh, we want to try to give some equal opportunity for students to be able to be content creators. So let's get right into it. Uh, let's go over some of the pros of content creation, having your students produce content in the classroom. And uh, really, there are four things that we kind of discussed beforehand. I'm going to just blurt all four of them out and then we could kind of talk about them a little bit but uh, we have creative freedoms so their ability to do what they want having that autonomy we have empowerment just making them feel kind of it kind of goes with the first one but it makes them feel like they're doing something that matters that's going to provide them with a real world experience in the last thing it's going to give them some soft skills that are going to make them job ready so nick when you think about these pros, what comes to your mind? So uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again now that really the only things I remember from school and I'm, this is speaking as somebody who liked school. I've always felt like I learned a lot in school and I carry a lot of that stuff with me today. Even with that opinion of school for me, I still feel like the only stuff that I remember well or that I remember best are things where I had creative freedom and where the teacher kind of let me run with a project or it was a little more a little more free form. And in particular, I had a psychology class in high school and this teacher was really really ahead of her time. The whole thing was student-centered, student-driven. It was unlike anything I'd seen before because, you know, this is, I don't even want to think about it now, but maybe 10, 15, dear God, 15 plus years ago in high school, it was all direct instruction. I mean, we would walk in and sit there and listen to a 45-minute lecture every day, uh, almost without fail. And this was completely different. We sometimes in class just read a book and journaled about it. And at the time it was like, for me, what is this? What are we even learning? But I remember so much 
of that class uh, compared to other courses. So I think that's really what we're talking about. And that, that hits a lot of what these pros are when it comes to having students create things. So what do, what do these pros mean to you? So have you ever gotten the question, Mr. Johnson, why do I have to do this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, why do I have homework or why do I have to do this? And, you know, early in my teaching career, I did give homework. Later in my teaching career, my homework was for them to either study for a test or if we're trying to squeeze something in before a break, maybe they had to do some type of a flip lesson. Uh, or oftentimes I just told them to have fun with their family, get some family time in. But when I did have to justify homework, I, I always said it's not about the content. It's about learning how to go find out information so you could use it in the real world. And that really got me past that question. Students accepted that and they said, oh, okay, that's that's better than because I assigned it or something along those lines. I think with my experience of allowing students to be content creators, it gives them a whole lot of skills. It allows them to feel good about themselves and allows them to see what they're making in class is making a difference in the world. And, and one of the ways that I could say that is through student podcasting and, and those types of assignments that I do give pretty regularly. I see students putting in extra effort with because uh, they're really embracing their product and they know that other people are going to see it. So they tend to go the extra mile. So with all of this, I just feel like it creates a better classroom atmosphere and all those fit in with these pros. I mean, they're getting a lot of these, I don't know, skills. They're getting a lot of these things that maybe a lecture can't teach them by doing these types of activities. So these are our pros. Let's let's go into some of the challenges. And once again, I'll list these and we can talk about them. But oftentimes when we add anything new, time is a challenge. And going with time, teachers often find that they need to cover a certain amount of content. And what goes with that is the fear of the test. So if they have a test associated with their course that you know they're going to get evaluated through their students on, that's another uh, challenge that we have to overcome. I guess a fourth one, which isn't on the list right now, is just the resources. Having the resources to be able to produce content that they're proud of. That's true. Um, hopefully we can get you guys around some of the resource issue because if you're using tech, a lot of this stuff is free to use. But of course, that means you have to have the tech available. So students have to have devices. And if you're not using the tech, then you need real things. Maybe you need poster paper, markers, whatever, whatever it is you're creating. So that's a challenge for sure. You know, just keep in mind, like as we go through this today, this kind of stuff always stressed me out and made me feel like, oh my God, I should be running my class totally differently. I'm not doing enough projects. I'm not doing enough content creation. It's not what this should be. I mean, would I love to redesign my AP chemistry course to be fully project-based where as the year goes on, there's maybe two giant overarching projects and then everything else is mini projects along the way? Yes. Can I do that? No, because I would never be able to finish everything I'm supposed to to prepare for that AP exam. And the same thing is true if your department has a final exam or whatever it is you're prepping for, that is a big, uh, you know, hold up here. But any, maybe just one of these, maybe any, any one thing that you can build in might take a little more time. I'm sure, but the payoff is huge, and we hope that uh, you can see that and, and work it into your class. One thing I would like to point out is, you know, there are ways to pick up time within a course. For example, if you flip one one unit, I mean, that's saving you time there. That in classroom, they could practice some skills. So you're doing a flip lesson here. They could practice some skills, and maybe they have 15 minutes at the end of the class period in which 
you know, typically would have been covered with that lecture that you do, but instead maybe they could put that towards a passion project or uh, a project that's going to, it's going to take maybe the whole quarter or maybe even a semester. But at the end of that, they have a nice piece of content that they could publish and share, you know, with the class or with the school community or with the public. I mean, that there are ways that we can kind of make this work. Right. So there's, I mean, tons of benefits, some challenges, but there's ways to work around those. Let's just wrap up the beginning of this by sort of clarifying, and I'll let you kind of run through this uh, this list, but what are the students going to get out of this? Why would a teacher want to put in this time uh, into their into their classrooms? Yeah. So what I did for this is I have a couple of college buddies that all have their own companies. Uh, you know, one of them is in film, the film industry. Another one is a business person. So I, and another person owns their own doctor's office. And what I did is I tried to ask them what type of skills or what do they look for in people that they're hiring for positions? Because I wanted to see how that would relate with these these skills that we're going to try to help students attain through these content creation projects. Uh, there are 11 of them that I'm going to say. These are 11 of them that were found on basically all three of the, the people uh, that I talked to, or at least two of the three. But there are some that kind of overlap here that I tried to group into one category. But uh, these skills are as follows. Communication skills, uh, leadership skills, teamwork skills, interpersonal skills, uh, learning slash adaptability skills. So I put that category together. Self-management skills, organizational skills. Nick, you would thrive in that. Well done. Uh, computer skills. So that's how tech savvy they are. Problem solving skills, open-mindedness, and a strong work ethic. And I'm, I have to say something about open-mindedness because this was elaborated on all three of the people's list. They said that Open-mindedness means to think outside of the box, be creative. So creativity kind of fit in with that one. And really, they said that they would take somebody that got a, a 3.0 that is creative and isn't a step-by-step -step methodical thinker over someone that got a 4.0 that you know, might be more uh, methodical in their thinking. Right. So, I mean, obviously there's tons of benefits to this, those skills. I mean, any, anytime you can fit in just a few of those into a lesson for your students, it's worth it. And we think with this content creation, you get all, all 11 and maybe even then some that we didn't think of. Challenges are manageable. The pros uh, far outweigh the cons. I think it's time to actually get into some of the actual ideas um, for lessons or projects, however you want to think about it. Maybe let's just call them teaching strategies that we put together. And we've got 10 of these things uh, that will sort of help jumpstart you in this process because it can be daunting, right? Sounds great. But what are you going to do and where are you going to start? So this list of 10 things might serve as good starting places for what you want to do. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. I'll kick us off and just remember that, you know, when we talk 21st century learning, and I told you how I hate talking about that because we've been in the 21st century for a long time, but we talk right. about the four C's, we talk about SAMR, we talk about the tech integration matrix, all that stuff. I think this fits the most advanced level of all those things. It encompasses everything. So I'm very excited to, to bring these things into the classroom. And there's no better time to do that because we've been moving away 
education as a whole has been moving away from these, our traditional assessment forms, multiple choice questions, things like that, and going to application. And most of these all entail some form of application of knowing what you're, knowing what the content is, going deeper. It promotes going deeper into the content. So yeah, in some cases you might not cover as much content, but the content that you cover will be in more depth. And I, I just wanted to throw that out there, but I'll get into the first one. Uh, and this is something both Nick and I are po- uh, passionate about because we're doing it right now, and that's podcasting. I think this is something that could take over education by storm. I think clubs should be doing it. I think classrooms should have their own podcast. It's a way for students this year to teach students of the next couple of years. It's it's ways for students in one school to um, inform other schools and maybe help students of a, of a different school. It's a way for students to communicate with their parents and let them know what's going on uh, content-wise and activity-wise within the building, within the school community. So podcasting is simply just recording audio. And you could do that with an extension. You can do that with your phone. Uh, and you could do that with some more complex ed tech tools. When I say complex, meaning they have more functions than just record. All right. So in, in the case of podcasting, recording and editing, there are a couple of tools that we often promote, and that's uh, our newest one, which is Sotaphonic, which is an extension, but also a web-based platform. And I will tell you this, the web-based platform is a lot more user-friendly than the extension. The extension doesn't do everything that the web-based platform does. So make sure that you're checking out sotaphonic.com. Uh, if you have a Mac or a PC or even an iPad, our favorite one to use to uh, edit at least, but you could also record is Audacity, all right? This is a free tool. It's amazing for, you get amazing value out of it. It's so easy to use and it's free. The other thing that I like to spruce up a podcast and you could do it right in there, you could edit and record is we video. And that's, that's one of my favorite tools out there because of the fact that there's so many creative features to it, whether you're recording just the audio or maybe you want to put your podcast on on YouTube and you want to throw an image over top so it turns it into an MP4 instead of an MP3 and you're able to do that. Those are all ways of doing that. And the great thing about posting your podcast on YouTube is that you get to see the numbers as people view it. And that's something that students really grab a hold of and that gets them going and gets them pumped to know that other people are watching or listening to their content. So we could do not just one full episode on podcasting, we could do uh, and have done and, and likely will continue to do multiple full episodes on student podcasting. We think it's that great. But again, that's just a, a quick start for you guys. Uh, I'll, and I'll just remind, say again, you guys need to check out Sodaphonic. If you think a podcast is too challenging, just go there and see how easy it is to record using this web-based platform. So quick and simple. Um, and if that's too daunting for you, your kids are more than likely have phones. Just use the audio recorder that comes as part of any uh, smartphone these days. They can talk straight into it. There's your podcast. It can be as simple as that. And and also remember, I, I said it's like any type of audio recording is technically a podcast. You could do this for a single assignment. You can ask them to record their audio as a response to an article they read. You could ask them to do a passion project where they go research a, a company or a nonprofit and you talk about that. 
I mean, it could be as small or large of a project as you want. So you take your, uh, you know, your audio podcast, throw in a video element and ask your students to theme it towards news in some way. And you get our second idea, uh, the classic newscast, right? Your The scenario is that you want your students to put together some sort of a program as if they were newscasters and they have to find some type of newsworthy event or however you want to do it. Maybe they can even create that event out of thin air if that you don't need it to be something that's actually happening. Uh, for me, when I've done this, it is an actual event that's happening in the world and they have to talk about how the classroom content relates to it. But there's tons of free tools that are going to make that possible. Uh, your screencasting tools like Screencastify, Screencast-O-Matic. The videos that you're going to create are going to be shorter, but that's okay. You don't want to be having your kids make super long videos anyway. So two, three-minute news clip. They do the screencast. Their face is down in the bottom left-hand corner using the, uh, they all have like automatically embedded webcams so you can see who's talking. And they just record, you know, that newscast linking what you're learning in class to that news or however you want it set up. So those would be our two favorites, right? Screencastify, screencast there's others out there like Loom. Uh, we even shared a, a third option in a recent episode. I can't think of the name now off the top of my head. And then just that same tool that we mentioned for podcasts, you can't get any better than we video, even if you just have the free version. Um, so much great editing can come in after you've done the recorded screencast in one of those tools I just mentioned. You pop it into we video and you can add all kinds of cool effects, music, intros, and you get a really professional looking product with essentially no effort in very little learning curve. Um, this is always one of my favorite projects to talk about. Just like the podcast, you can easily make this more than just your classroom viewing it. A lot of times our content creation projects die once they're handed into the teacher. Teacher grades it, returns the grade, and that's it. It doesn't go any further. There's no other uh, viewing of that content. So we could use a Google site to make this come alive. You could post those videos to YouTube, embed them into a Google site, or you could put them in your Google Drive and embed them in your Google site. And that allows other people to go in and check out that content. I remember, just like you said, that the activities that you learned as a kid in, in school, you only remember the ones that were more project-based. I can remember to this day in physics class, uh, I was in 11th grade and we did a news report on black holes. And that's one thing that sticks out. I had a lot of fun doing it with uh, a couple of my, my friends from high school, but it's something I still have it. No one will ever see it because uh, that's not something that I'm going to share out. But I still have it and I get a kick out of it every time I, I watch it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole point of this. And, and if that could live on. So imagine if you man, I wish this was the case. If I could go to YouTube right now and find and find that video still posted. I mean, you might not want it out there, but it's it kind of adds an element of credibility and the kids will put more effort into it, knowing it might be there 20, 30 who knows how how many years later it's, it's sort of a cool thing that we have access to now things like youtube where you can just post stuff for free um and it's kind of similar to the next idea we had too which is a class newspaper again you don't have to worry about getting together actual paper products for this i mean you can but just something as simple as google slides and it'd be tough to find a school these days that don't have access to that g suite educational platform 
set up your Google slide size to sort of match, you know, the typical uh, size of a newspaper. You could even build a template for your kids where you throw in some text boxes, make it really fancy and embed GIFs in that Google slide. So the images are moving to make it look fancy. There's your project. You build a class newspaper um, and, you know, even extending it to group work where each maybe, you know, there's multiple slides that are different pages of the newspaper and each person is responsible for a different section or a different page. So the op-ed piece, the front page, whatever it is, uh, there's so many ways you could take that. And I, and I like that a tool like Google Slides can make it so simple and, and most importantly, free. So that's a, that's a good one. So this is what I was thinking about when we did the class newspaper. This is a perfect opportunity for community outreach. I, I was thinking in my science class, if we're doing an environmental unit, our students can connect with the watershed, a local you know, nonprofit, reach out to there, get one of their asp- experts. They could interview them, even if it's through Zoom or something like that. And then they could publish this as a news article. Uh, and each person does... they. If there's 24 kids, it would take 24 weeks. And then once you got all 24 of those uh, articles together, you can make a big, whether it's a scrapbook, newspaper, whatever you want to call it, a digital magazine. Uh, You get a picture of the person that they were interviewing. You have it very professional looking. You could give them a template through Canva, whatever it may be. But then you have something that is going to be valuable, right? You're going to reach out to the community, you start developing relationships with the community, uh, and then you bring that knowledge that you learned outside and you make it authentic in the classroom. I think those types of experiences will go far. And you do not need technology for this one. There's, there's, I mean, minimal technology. Say they send you a picture, you copy it on the photocopier, print it out, something like that. You could easily make something that's in hand or make a scrapbook, like just how you would make a scrapbook, put it in there, have a class scrapbook of all these community outreaches. So I think that is something that we could take to the next level. Uh, the next uh, example is um, classroom galleries. Uh, We often talk gallery walks. There's a digital gallery walk that we pushed out to everybody. And uh, now that Moat, you know, one of my favorite tools, uh, has the ability to record and embed audio right into slides, you could put five or six pictures on there, five or six resources onto a slide and have them easily uh, record. Almost like if I was giving a tour at an art museum, I could give a tour of my slide. All right. But Once again, we could take this away from tech and we can have them, we could have students make their own, you know, whether it's a model or any type of a a poster or something like that and bring it into the classroom. Maybe hang it out in the hallways like we used to do old school back in elementary school. I still remember during uh, nighttime activities, walking down the hallway and trying to see how bad my stick figure uh, looked on the wall, but they still gave me some... uh, publishing credit there. They, they put them up there maybe as an example of what or how not to draw a stick figure. And I'm happy to report I might have got a fraction better since uh, the first grade. A fraction, a small fraction. But yeah, you've definitely improved. And how about this? I mean, how about even for a gallery, pull in the community for that? This is something I know, I think two of the uh, government class in the statistics class at our, our school, and they combine classes together and work, sort of bring multiple classrooms on together in this one project where they research some statistics rated uh, related to uh, a current issue where government would play some role, some rulings. I think it was, I always remember the, the kids want to do like legalizing marijuana as a really popular topic, but they gather data on that. 
all the statistics they can, and they use those statistics then to analyze what the government's role in that should be. There's no tech in this besides the research, something they can do do easily. And then after that, they just build posters, uh, set those posters up in a gallery format, either in our media center. Sometimes, you know, they even do this um, outside. We have like these courtyards and they invite community members, local government officials to come look at them and they run little presentations. And I think that's a really cool way to sort of have that gallery aspect, but extend it beyond the normal where, you know, you're bringing different classes together. You're bringing the community in to see those things. And, and again, very, very low tech if, if you want it to be. So lots of cool things there. So they call that the the stat carnival, I right. believe. Right. So, yes. yep. I mean, the stat carnival is another. I mean, it's it's still a gallery walk. People walk around from you know each booth, but they they put a game behind it, which is awesome at the end. So their final project after they're done doing their statistics pro project is taking another step in making it a content based game where where people would come around other students during the lunch period or something like that would come out and they would be able to earn small prizes like lollipops and stuff like that for playing these content-based games. They would collect those statistics and use them again later on to try to figure out, you know, how difficult their game was or what's the likelihood of people being successful in their game, something along those lines. So let's go ahead and get into the next one. Uh, Having a photo contest or an infographic contest, uh, we did this a couple of years ago in the media center. We had a photography contest where anyone in the school can submit a photo that they took uh, into the contest. And what we did is we narrowed down the, the number of entries to 20 or 25. We posted those on a Google site. We also posted them in uh, the media center all in one area, and we allowed people to vote on these photos. And the five photos that uh, got the most votes would be published, or they would be put into a frame and put into the media center, which is pretty cool. The buy-in was great. Uh, we only allowed one vote per person, or one Google form submission per person. Uh, so what was cool is we saw over 75% participation in the school. And that right there was worth it. It was worth every single penny, every single ounce of time that we had in this project. It was worth it because now I have five beautiful pictures in the media center that are going to be going up because we just renovated. But I also have students that were excited to work with another teacher who ran it or helped me run it. And now we have buy-in. The buy-in was immense. And there are people asking, this was something we did four years ago. So our seniors now were, were freshmen and they want to do it again. So that's, that's awesome. That tells me that the buy-in, the interest and the empowerment's there. Yeah. And if you're doing this digitally, I mean, of course you can, you know, do this uh, by hand, that sort of traditional uh, poster style, uh, what you would have called a poster on, on poster paper. It's just an infographic, right? But then the, you know, the digital side, again, tons of very, very free, very, very awesome things you can use to, do this. I got five quick ones right now. Uh, PictoChart, free infographics. Canva for education, free infographics. Genially, free infographics. Adobe Spark, 
easel.ly. That's my favorite one. You know, I've always done a poster project at the end of the year of my AP chemistry class. Now it's a digital poster where they make an infographic on easel.ly. And again, they know that since it's digital, it lives forever. It gets posted on my class website for any and all to see. Um, I'm a big fan of that. And I just like the digital side of it uh, so much. So hopefully that's some some good ideas for people there. If you haven't tried any of those, uh, just literally pick one. They're all great. But easel.ly is probably my, my favorite one. All right. So let's hop right into the next one. And that's creating a class YouTube channel. So you could easily create a YouTube channel through, I would use the teacher's uh, work email and I would attach it to a YouTube channel and I would brand it whatever name they wanted to call their class, freshman bio, whatever it is that they may be. Bio buddies is what we used in uh, our AP biology podcast. We called ourselves the bio buddies. So you could easily brand it based on that. And then if you have multiple classes and you don't want them all to be together, you can make playlists within your YouTube channel and each playlist could be a different class. Uh, but you could use Screencast-O-Matic, Loom, Screencastify. You could use your phones. Almost every student has a phone, it seems like. I know I didn't get a phone until I was a senior, but I'm also the age of a dinosaur. So they weren't really out there that much back then. Car phones looked like milk cartons. Uh, they were they're huge. So uh, I'm glad they, they got smaller. But uh, yeah, with the YouTube channel... You still have the statistics. You can see how many clicks students get, and that seems to drive. I mean, think about our students and what they do with Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all those. They're after those likes. So views equal likes, and I think they'll eat it up. Yep, I love that idea, and it doesn't just have to be a screencast or phone recordings too. any kind of video. That my Another thing I like is a stop-motion style video. There's an app called Stop Motion Studio, also free. Kids download it on their phones. It kind of walks them through the process of recording a stop-motion video, and I post these on my class YouTube page, and, and they have some of the highest views out of any of my videos just because of how kind of random the topics are that get covered. And because nobody else out there is really making videos on this, they get clicked on and people watch them and the kids know that. So it builds a lot of incentive for them to put a lot of effort. And man, some of the stuff that I get out of that project is is awesome just because they know where this is going to end up. So class YouTube channel is an awesome idea. Let's go into our next one, which is a content play. So basically students work with content that you give them in class and then basically after that i'm saying basically a lot because i'm basically excited about this all right that was the last one you don't need to edit that out either nick i'm leaving it in for sure yeah i would <laughs> uh so yeah in a content play you don't need to have technology for this uh, i would use my phone to record them at least later and use them as a way to show my next couple of classes examples of what we might want for this uh, creation topic. But you can use WeVideo to, if they record them, they can make some extra effects in WeVideo. Uh, you could record them with your phone and have a green screen behind there. Remember, go to the dollar store, get one of those neon green plastic table covers, hang it from the ceiling of your classroom, have them take their picture or do their video over top of that. If you have WeVideo, 
easy chroma keying in there that could take it out. But if not, put their photo in Slazer or remove.bg, get the background out of there and tell them to add city streets there. And you can make something really cool with, with that as well. So you don't need uh, technology there. You could just have them do it in class or you could have them do it outside, perform it, or you could do some post-production after you record it or take photographs. Um, very easily, you could take photographs and do a screencast with those photographs after you put them in Slaz or remove.bg. And you could tell a story, a narrative story through that. And I think that would be another great content creation. Even your math and science classes where that doesn't feel like it always fits in, you know, give the kids some sort of weird prompt, like do a content play that shows, you know, how this algebraic equation is solved. Let them figure out how to model that using themselves, using their bodies in this play. You know, show me how this chemical reaction happens. Show me how ATP is used to produce energy in cells and, and you know, film yourselves in some sort of a content. But there's all sorts of ways to make that creatively fit into any any uh, sort of content area. So that's another really fun idea. I think the kids may have more fun with that than almost anything else that I've seen because they can get so silly with it and um, in, in creating that video. And sort of that goes in with the next one too. You know, your classic board game design. You can do a, a digital version of this in Google Slides where you make things clickable and that's your game by you know, navigating from slide to slide by clicking things that link, um, that gets a, a little bit clunky and the kids may not want to put in that kind of tedious effort. Um, but you can do the no tech version too, where you're just having kids build, you know, some kind of board game, uh, for that buy-in, make sure they're actually playing them. Make sure they know that when this project is over, we're having game day where everybody's playing everybody else's board games. Um, and always push them to bring in something unique. That's what I, one of my requirements for the board game project is you have to add something that no other board game has or has ever had. And when you put that on them, I've gotten such cool stuff. One of the, one of the kids went home and, you know, 3D printed all of his game pieces himself. Somebody else completely made all the game pieces and game board from stuff they found in the woods behind their house. Um, just sort of let them take it and, and force them, require them to take it to some new place. And I think you get pretty excited about that uh, that classic board game project. So here's here's one for you. Most of our classrooms have those square tiles as the the flooring. Take a whiteboard marker and draw a path on those square tiles, all right? And when you do that, what that is is your game board to draw the little zigzag back and forth. Think shoots and ladders here. You could set up a shoot and la shoots and ladders based on content. Uh, have them roll the dice. That's how many spaces they get to move, but they have to answer this content-specific question first. So I'm using whiteboard marker because you could easily, you could just tell the students to drag their foot over it and it's gonna get rid of it at the end of the classroom. Just move the furniture, use the whiteboard uh, marker to go up and back, and there you have yourself a little game. You make your shoots and ladders game in five minutes as students are doing a do now, and then you have them play. They would eat that up. Uh, they can make games using the floor or using tables. If you have a black tabletop uh, desk or table, I have lab stations. Go get some of those Expo neon markers and right on the black tables, the black tabletop tables. It shows up perfectly. And I just have students work out problems on there sometimes 
And it's amazing how excited they get about that. And, and then all of a sudden, you're at a whole different definition, right, of what is a board game. If you're doing it on the floor, why not go outside? Why not step out the end of the hallway, go to the whatever field or grassy area you have available? Um, one of the things I've done is doing this where I just have some styrofoam balls that I've painted different colors. Each color represents a different, uh, for me, it's an atom, right, as a chem teacher. But I just throw them around, and they're pretty small, so they sort of fall into the grass and hide and the job is within groups, they have to go find certain atoms. Part of the activity is measuring the distance between those atoms. Once they find them, it's basically an Easter egg hunt, really. So it's super fun. Just another type of sort of live action board game. And if you start sort of expanding those boundaries, uh, again, lots of really cool ways you could take that. I know we had a history teacher here a couple years ago that used to uh, have students bring in cardboard. And then they had to make cardboard forts and reenact an old uh, old school play or not a play, but a, a battle. And they would fill up water balloons and they would have a water balloon battle, but based off of history and and how groups had to protect themselves in a castle and their castles made out of cardboard. They had a lot of fun with it. There was history based context to it. So they learned a lot from it. I just think that is kind of, you know, where I was going when I was thinking of these creative games, that's where I was going with this one. So let's get into our next one, which is blogging. Now, blogging is not for everybody. Uh, I will tell you the blogging is, if I had to choose between podcasting, making a video and blogging, blogging will be a distant three for me. But the beauty behind all these is we can make a choice board where they get to pick what type of activity they do. But we cannot get rid of blogging because there are some students out there that really love to blog. We had a student that graduated last year that uh, she was really big into government. And she had a blog that was followed by a lot of people across the United States, politicians and everything. So that that niche fit her need of creative uh, content, like an outlet for her. So you got to keep those in there. But some of the blogs that I've seen students do are absolutely phenomenal. And I think that just attests to their creative capabilities. And that's one that we need to make sure that we include. So you could use docs. You could use Glogger. Uh, there are other blogging websites. You could have them do a free WordPress site. Uh, and you could use Google Google Sites as well. But these are all places where you can have them blog. And, you know, a blog, again, get get creative with this. I don't know how it is in your house, guys, but I, I cook all the food. When it comes time for dinner, I'm the guy that makes it. So I'm on a lot of websites looking up recipes for stuff to cook. And, you know, you know, if you've ever done that, you know that recipes online these days, they're all shared via a blog, right? So what you're calling a blog can be things like that. Maybe maybe that's the project. Maybe, you know, design a, a recipe and a blog to go along with it that relates to something you're talking about in class. And it, you even and then you start to blur the boundaries between this and other things we've mentioned. Maybe the, vlog, uh, the, the blog has a video component. You've got a, a video blog. And maybe that video is just a recording of the student's making their podcast, right? So all of these things can kind of overlap when you start getting into these. So again, just get creative with it. Think outside the box and make it different than what the kids might expect. And, you know, you put blogging at the bottom of your list. I probably would too, unless you think of a cool way to change it up and then it becomes something super fun, just like the rest of these we've talked about. So let's go into our last one, which is creating a book. And 
really, once again, you could do this just using paper. You could use minimal tech and use Google Docs and have people add things to it. Uh, I would probably use Google Slides or Book Creator uh, to create a book, but you just got done saying recipes. Part of the thing with uh, content creation, and it, it's a big step for a student to say, yeah, share this with the world because it's making them vulnerable. But you want to make them feel safe and everything. One of the best ways to build rapport is to do these team building games or things that have nothing to do with the content. So what if around the holidays, you asked every student to bring in their favorite recipe for the holidays? Maybe it's grandma's secret recipe. Maybe it's something that they got on the back of a cereal box to make uh, cereal I don't know. What are those Rice Krispie treats, but with a different type of cereal? I love Fruity Pebbles. I would make those all day long. But everyone brings in their own dessert recipe or holiday recipe, and you make a you know a cookbook or, or a recipe book for the class. All right? That's another way that you could make content and kind of build team rapport and all that. But you could also do it for the content that you're doing. And I talked a little bit about the scrapbook earlier. I think that would fit into this. But Book Creator and Google Slides can both do that pretty easily and pretty effectively. So that's a pretty solid list. Again, uh, 10 things. I, I feel inspired, even though we're the ones that put this list together. Just talking about it, uh, it brings up so many cool things that you know I've heard other people have done. And, and I hope that sharing that with you guys today has helped and that maybe you can start off a new project again this year as well. How do you think we did, guys? Was that good enough for uh, covering these 10 teaching strategies? Yeah, I think we it's a good start. I think as a, a as a PLN, we could easily share out so many more ways. I know a former guest, Scott Noons, he would probably bring more gamification aspects to this. You know, I know hopefully a future guest, Brian Carpenter, he would he would probably bring in more of the Adobe Spark creative outlets there. You know, Charity Dodd would probably bring in some blended learning activities that would be, you know, so we need to get together as a PLN, brainstorm and try to come up with this master list of things and, and get that out to our teachers that, you know, in this community and really get our students, you know, thinking on that wavelength a little bit. And I think this is, like I said earlier, the perfect opportunity now that our educational system has been disrupted by a virus. All right, so this is a perfect time for ed reform and an educational change. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Got Tech, the podcast. Thanks for joining along. If you find value in what we are producing, the content that we're producing, please tell your teacher buddies, tell all your friends that might get value out of this, who we are, where to find us. I'll tell you where to find us. You can find us on Twitter at We Got Teched. If you want to follow Nick, it's at Nick Got Teched. If you want to follow me, it's at Geis Got Teched. Uh, you could follow along on any of the major Apple, Google, podcast players, Stitcher. Uh, you could look at our YouTube channel. We're always adding new tech tools and, and little tips and tricks. You can now find us on Clubhouse every Wednesday at 3.15. Uh, if you have an iPhone and you want to invite to Clubhouse, reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know. We'll get you hooked up. We have a couple that we have available to give away. Uh, 
But if you feel inclined, leave us some type of a review on one of the podcast players. Until next time, go out, check some of these tools out, be content creators, and shift that focus to help students be content creators in your class. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.